Jesus, Jesus, there's something about that name, and there is, there's power in that name. And when it comes down to the simplicity of life, when we understand that we are created to be more and more like him, that we spend our whole life with God working within us, the scripture, there's a Greek word called mordomorphe, and it would be the idea of changing us, discipling us, coming from our inside out. Not just on the outside looking like Jesus, but deep, deep within us. That God is at work within us to try to make us and is making us more Christ-like. That's what life's about. It's really not about what we do as a career or where we go or what we have or don't have or all these different things that we get so caught up in that's living life, it's more than that. It's God working within us, making us more like Jesus. And everything we do needs to help us do that. It needs to help us focus our attention on God at work within us. That's really number one. And number two, the second aspect of life is to reflect His glory all the more. What that means, glory in simple terms, is reflecting who Christ is, that he's on the throne, that he's first and foremost, that there is no other name above his name, that we have him in the rightful place in our life. That's what it's all about. And if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it's on the, ver- on the screen here, and we're going to go over to John, so we're not going to be here long. But the New Living Translation puts it very simple. And then look at this verse. As the Spirit of the Lord works within us, not just around us, not just at church, not through someone else, not through mom and daddy, not through the generations, but as the Spirit of the Lord works within you, within me, within us, there it is. We become more and more like Him, first purpose of life, and we reflect his glory even more, second purpose in life. So all that we have and all that we do, all that we think, all that we are, is if it's all about us reflecting his glory and being more like him, look at what this verse says. You're not going to do that apart from the Holy Spirit of God working in your life. Now, I find it fascinating that today, across this country, is a special day. I bet if I took a poll, and this is not to be negative, but if I took a poll in here today and said, does anybody know what today is? Say, it's Sunday. We miss this whole dynamic of something that occurs every year, roughly during the month of May, that occurs 50 days after Easter every year. It's called Pentecost. Today, roughly 2,000 years ago, a little over 2,000 years ago, was the birth of the New Testament church. It's also where God chose to have the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Before this day, the Holy Spirit lived around people But on this day, God chose to send His Spirit into us, into believers. So today is really the birth of Luke 4.18 fellowship. And churches across the country, especially out in the rural communities, will have homecomings. I used to be of a church that had a homecoming every year. Y'all remember those, some of you? I mean, bring the fried chicken and more fried chicken and more fried chicken and plenty of potatoes and you have a homecoming. Well, I left out the desserts and the sweet tea. That's homecoming. And you would gather every year to celebrate the birth of that new local church. And you know what? The church I was in, North Cary Baptist Church up in Cary, North Carolina, we, the, the staff and I, it was so nutty, we called it North Crazy Baptist Church. 
And, but every year we would have homecoming and we would celebrate. This is our 23rd year and our 24th year and our 25th year. The truth is, today is the day that started Luke 418 Fellowship over 2,000 years ago. Because this church is not just a new church, a new congregation, a new building. And people say, oh, y'all are that new church that's out on Solid Road. No, no, no. We're the old church that started 2,000 years ago at Pentecost. Read about it in Acts chapter 2. We're in a continual lineage in the bloodline of Christ that's gone from 2,000 years ago at his, de- at his death and His burial and His resurrection into Pentecost where He chose to live within us and continues on till today. And people say, and I don't know if you've seen it, USA Today and New York Times and, and Washington Post and even Fox has talked about it. Mobile Press Register called me and wanted an interview about it recently and they wrote about it saying, well, the church is in decline. The church is dead. The church is dying. Young people aren't interested in the church anymore. What's going to happen? And a lot of those statistics are absolutely truth. But I'll tell you one thing. The church of Jesus Christ will never go away because Jesus started it. He sees it through and He will finish it. Jesus Christ is the Lord of the church, the Lord of this church, and it does not go away. You see, we have to understand that while some churches might close their doors, the church always will continue on. And the naysayers can say, well, look, the churches are dying. People aren't interested. America's going down the tubes. Oh, yeah, some of that's true if you want to look at some research and statistics. But I'll tell you one thing. Go out with me to some of these young people, and I'll show you where they are today. They're all over the world sharing about who Christ is because the real Jesus that we just sang about is in their hearts, living through them, and carrying forth in a great message of hope and love. The problem is you've got a secular society that says, that dumbs that down and says, no, you don't need Jesus. Live like you want. But I'm believing there's going to be a great revival. I'm seeing it amongst our young people. And we can say that we're in a hopeless situation. And I look at our country and I say, well, we're all in a mess. But then I look at some of our young people and I look at you and I, as I get to go preach different places and I see you there and I see this, there's, a, there's a remnant of people And the truth is, today we celebrate that remnant of people, the local church that God Almighty orchestrated and instituted and created 2,000 years ago, roughly on this day. You say, well, how did that come about? I'll talk to you about that in a moment. But first, I want to tell you a little story. I've told this story here several times. Some of you were probably bored with it, but I love the story, so I'm going to tell it. And there's been so many new people come in since I last preached on a Sunday morning, you don't even know who I am. So I know you haven't heard the story. I was pastoring a church years ago, a little girl named Renee, she was about six or seven, had watched the baptismal service. You know, they say, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? Or I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they put them underwater. We do it. Here, it's a glorious, awesome thing. Well, Renee had seen this baptism, and so she goes home on that Sunday night, schools the next day. Her mama says, no, Renee, go in there and get a bath, and so she gets her tub ready, and she takes some baby dolls in there, and she's going to play and take a bath and all that. And so she's in there a long time. And her mama finally says, what in the world is she doing? So her mama goes and looks through the crack of the door, and there's Renee in there with her baby dolls, and she's baptizing them. (laughs) The problem is, Renee was taking her baby doll, and she goes, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and in the hole you go. (laughs) It's a great story. And the truth is, we honor God the Father, we certainly honor God the Son, but God the Holy Spirit, in the hole He goes. We've taken the third person of the Trinity that we'll learn about here in a moment and how He's active and works in our life, and we've taken Him and we talk about Him, and here I'm glad that we talk about the Holy Spirit. I'm glad Brother Fred is one who understands the Holy Spirit. But what we've had is we've had some some of our more Pentecostal churches, who I have great friends who are Pentecostal, who've taking the Holy Spirit and Holy Ghost. Well, I don't know about y'all, but I don't want anything to do with a ghost. 
Right? Peter saw a ghost one time. He thought it was Jesus. Out on the waters. Ghosts are a little scary. So what is this Holy Ghost? And what is this slain in the Spirit or speaking in the Spirit and all this stuff? And so we have some that's over here. And as a result, you've got many of our more mainline denomination, our Methodists, Episcopalians, Presbyterians, certainly, Baptists even, who come over here and we talk about Jesus, but we never understand and we never talk about the Holy Spirit. We baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and in the whole He goes. It's a travesty. The third person of the Father that we celebrate today that occurred 2,000 years ago choosing to indwell in us, is an aspect of our spiritual life that is not just a choice. It's not something that only Pentecostals have. It's not something that only those who have some kind of a supernatural, superhuman spiritual walk that you feel like you can never achieve. Oh no, God gives the Holy Spirit for all of us, so that we cannot live ordinary lives, but superordinary lives. Not natural lives, but, but unnatural lives, in that, that we're tapped into God in such a way that He walks with us. And it doesn't necessarily change us who we are, what we do for a living, where we live. No, God never designed us to live ordinary lives like ordinary people. He gives the Spirit of God to help us. And look in John chapter 14, verse 26. And we're going to, for simplicity's sake and time's sake, we're going to stay in the book of John. And I began to, and I'm not saying I've arrived at all, far from that, but when I was working with my doctor years ago, I was pastoring a church and I began to say, you know, there's more to my life than what I'm living. And I look at the church across the country, and I'm like, there's more. Where's the power in the church? Where's the power that's beyond persuasive words and the demonstration of some kind of, you know, when you have modern technology like we have today, you can create a service that's dynamic, but it never moves a heart. And I began to say, where is the difference? Or what is the difference between us and everyone else? And I went on a personal pursuit. And I ended up writing my final dissertation on the spirit-filled life in essence. And I studied the last 2,000 years of all the great revivals and awakenings, and I studied the lives of the people who God used in those. It took a year and a half, well over 100 books to read it all and I didn't want to read the modern version of some of these things that happened in the past. I would d- dig deep and find these old books and read the old books. And boy, those were challenging times. Read the old stuff. And I began to see common denominators in the lives of the people who God lived, God used in all of the great movements of his. Every one of them has the same path and the same pattern. Every single revival and awakening throughout the history of mankind. From Pentecost till today. And I wrote those in a book called More God, More of Me. And as a 40-day guide, and, but it was a personal journey. I wrote the book, but the truth is it was my journey. It was the book that I had to write for myself because I couldn't quite grasp this spirit-filled life. And I understood it, but I didn't understand it. And I had been at, at seminary courses on the Holy Spirit. It was taught by a blind professor, Dr. Carson. He was phenomenal, but he couldn't see. And he would come into class, and if y'all were the class, he would get to preaching, and he did his arms like this, but he would turn the wrong way. He didn't know where we were. And one day, and so I quit going to class. Maybe I should have went. And I'm like, well, he don't even know if I'm there. He's preaching to the wall. He don't even know I'm there. I'm not going to class today until one day when I showed up. I don't know how in the world the man knew it. He was looking at the wall, and he said, Savage, you been gone. Where you been? And I'm like, how does he know that? He can't see. He was a fantastic professor. But even at that level, and even hearing Brother Fred preach about the Holy Spirit throughout my growing up years, it was something that I just didn't, it didn't connect with me. 
And then when I went on this spiritual journey, this pursuit, and began to study this, and I said, you know what, I've got to understand because I feel like I'm living out the Christian life, but I'm missing something here. And I began to come across a few verses, and look at this, John 14, 26. And we could spend all day here. In fact, I do conferences on this, and certainly you don't want to endure that. But 1426, Jesus is talking now. The Holy Spirit lives around the disciples, around the Old Testament prophets. The Holy Spirit was not indwelling someone. The New Testament church did not exist yet. You had Jewish people who would gather at the temple for prayer and to give, you know, and to, to do different things. But they did not have a church like we have it today. It did not exist. And so he says to these disciples in 1426, he says, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father has, who the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. So do you realize that when you think about the things of Christ, you think about Scripture that comes up to your mind, you're about to do something and that verse pops in your head. You all know what I'm talking about? That's the Holy Spirit of God at work in you, bringing to remembrance that verse or that memory or that thought or who God is or that aspect of faith. That's God at work inside of you through the third person of the Trinity. But it says, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will come. Then look at 1526. Jesus tells him again. But when the Helper comes, whom, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth proceeds from the Father. He will testify of me. You see that again? He says, the Helper who I am sending to you. So the Holy Spirit of God is sent personally by Jesus Christ himself. Now, flip over to chapter 16, one page or two. Verse 7. Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, there it is again, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So three times in this short segment, right before Christ was to go to the cross, he's with his disciples and he says, hey guys, listen, I know you've been with me for three years. I know I've taught you the Old Testament. Can you imagine having Jesus as your teacher? I know I've done ministry with you. In fact, we broke bread together. Even remember, we didn't just break bread, but we multiplied bread and fish. We fed 5,000 plus people in a given day. Remember those miracles and all the times I've touched people and you've done that and the times I've sent you out and you participated in those miracles? Remember when we cast out the demons of the maniac of the Gadarenes? Y'all were scared to death that day, weren't you? But remember seeing that kind of a power? You've learned from me. You know me. You love me. You know my word. We have unity. I've taught you how to pray. I've taught you how to live life. I've shown you how to live life. Now I'm telling you, here's how you need to live life. But I'm telling you, not just once, not just twice, but three times I'm going to tell you to make sure you get it, you're going to need a helper. And he says, so I personally am sending the Spirit of God to you to be your helper. And when he comes, he's going to help you remember everything I've told you, told you which is why the Scriptures were written by the disciples. The Spirit of God moved on those men and helped them write under the anointing of the Spirit of God and helped them recall the different stories that took place, and that's where we get our Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But he says, you're going to need help. Now, can you imagine if you have been with Jesus personally for three years, you slept where he slept, you ate where he ate, you ministered where he ministered, and he still says, now listen, I'm going to be out of here. I'm going away. 
And it's actually to your advantage that I go away. Well, we don't want you to go away, Jesus. I know you don't, but it's to your advantage that I go away so that I can send the helper to help you. Help us do what? And there lies the key question of the day. Why do we need a helper? Everybody here agree Jesus has a lot of wisdom and knows how life works, right? If he says you need help three times, you need help. Well, I got it together. How's that working out for you? I'll figure it out. How'd that work for you last time? Three times he says, I'm sending you a helper. Now, let's put it in real common sense, because that's how I think. In this place this morning, we will not call 911. But if one of you fell out, and you hit the floor, and you have a heart attack or something, we're going to pick up the phone and call 911. Why? You need help, right? And praise God, we got other medical staff here that, you know, I'm counting on you if something happens now. You send help to one, a helper to one who needs help, Right? When Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go away, that I can send you a helper, what he's saying to the disciples is, I've taught you these things, I've taught you how to live life, I've taught you how to live a life abundantly and full of joy and peace and purpose. But you're going to need help to do that. The problem is, we in life, have depended upon everything else but the helper to help us live life. We depend upon our income. We depend upon our personality. We depend upon our minds. We depend upon our family connections. We depend upon someone else. We depend upon circumstances just to work out. We depend upon a whole lot of different things. Usually we depend totally on ourselves because we have an American rugged individualism mentality that we will figure this out. We will overcome. I will make it. Just go look around. This whole psychotherapy that started 30 years ago. It's even in Christian counseling today of you got to believe in yourself. You can make it. You believe in yourself. You can. You can. Say I. I can do this. i got ministry students out there that is driving me nuts. Well, I can go preach. You can't do squat. What are you talking about? You see, we depend upon self. And self takes us to a certain level. Jesus says, you need help to live out this Christian life that I've called you to. And you can't do it on your own self. You need God's help to do that. And that's why I'm sending the Spirit of God into you to help you do that. So when you receive Jesus Christ into your life, you got the Spirit of God, came and dwelt within you. In fact, the Bible says that, don't you know that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? So in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God dwelt in a temple, a physical building. In the New Testament, after what happened today, 2,000 years ago, the Spirit of God chose to come and live within you. So when you receive Christ, you got all the spirit there is to get. The question is, does he have all of you there is to get? And it's an aspect of surrender. It's an aspect of pouring ourselves out so that he can fill us with himself, so that he can help us live out this Christian life he's called us to. Is it man-made living or God-filled living? How do we live our life? Now, look at chapter 16 with me. Let's go through this for a moment. He says, I'll tell you the truth is, to your advantage that I go away. See, Jesus is looking out for us. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come. 
You see, when Jesus was on earth, he could only be one place at one time. When the Spirit comes, he's in all of us everywhere. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Verse 8. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now let's stop there for a moment. Because these next few verses, Jesus teaches us the role of the Holy Spirit in our life as our helper. One, when he comes, he'll convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. So the idea is, the Holy Spirit is our convictor. Now, so many times we see conviction as a bad thing. Oh boy, I'm getting convicted on this. When the truth is, conviction is a great thing. Because conviction is God Almighty loving you enough that he prompts in your heart and head and says, you know, that kind of talk, you don't need to be doing. That kind of living, you don't need to be doing that. Hey, what you said to her, that wasn't right. Hey, looking at that on the television screen, you know that you shouldn't be looking at that. Hey, what you did last week, see what I'm saying? That's an act of love. That's God Almighty convicting you, saying, I have a different plan for your life than what you're trying to do. I don't want you to look at that or see this or participate in that. I've got something better for you. The life that I've created you to be, this abundant life, does not come on your terms. It comes on my terms. But I'm not letting you figure out what my terms are. I'm going to help you know my terms that you can live that kind of a life. So why do we have so many Christians that are miserable? Because we can have Jesus in our life and still be living life on our own terms. We try to be spirit-filled and live for God, but yet we try to figure a life out on our own terms and how to do it ourselves. And the truth is, it just doesn't work out. That's where most Christians in America are today, in my opinion. So, Jesus says, I'm going to send this conviction. You know, it's kind of like this. I read this yesterday. There's an old guy named Matthew Henry. He's long gone. He said conviction is very similar to convincing. So in other words, when the Spirit convicts you and you have conviction over something, what He's doing is convincing you that, hey, this sin, what you're about to get into or what you just did, really is faulty living. It's really failing God. It's really folly. It's really filth. You see, because God is holy and we're not, and the Spirit of God wants us to be holy and works in us to reflect Jesus' glory all the more. Remember 2 Corinthians? And to form us more like Christ, well, the conviction, the only way that it can occur is because of the Spirit of God convicting you deep inside to say, uh-uh, remember, we're trying to get you like Christ, not like the world. Remember, you've got to reflect Jesus' glory, and boy, that doesn't, that tarnishes Jesus' glory. You don't want to talk like that. You don't want to see that. You don't want to be like that. You don't want that kind of attitude. So let me prompt your heart. Let me convince you that that's not good. It's not an abundant way to live. It's not the way that God's designed. So it's God's loving form of prompting your heart, convincing you of a different way. Isn't that neat? By the way, conviction doesn't always mean sin. It means it might be, he might be keeping you from sin. So the truth is, how many of us have been convicted in the last week? Every time, everybody that raised your hand and foot, that's the Holy Spirit of God working inside of you and it's the method and mode that Jesus Christ himself chose so to form you into his image to reflect his glory. It's a wonderful thing. That's why we're so thankful for today. And it goes on, and for time's sake, we're going to skip a few verses, but look at verse 13. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. There's another aspect of the Spirit of God. Life in some ways is ordinary and you kind of know from day to day what comes. 
But some days are like a jungle, isn't it? Full of vines, you can't see, you get lost, you get turned around, you don't know where you're going, and that dumb GPS woman's voice will not stop telling you, take a U-turn, take a U-turn, take a U-turn. I was in Fort Walton not long ago, and the hotel, I kid you not, my GPS is on my phone, and that little void, that little direction continued to give me to the same place, and I'm sitting there looking at a tree, and I got so mad, I said, dumb thing, I'm looking at it, it's a tree, the hotel is not here. She didn't respond. I'm glad we don't have to rely upon man-made ways to get through life. Instead, Jesus says, it's to your advantage I go away so I can send you a guide to help you live out this jungle of days that we call life. You would never think about trying to go somewhere you've never been without some kind of guidance how to get there. Jesus sends the Spirit to guide us towards truth. And that's the good news too. It's truth, not towards a half lie or what we think is true, but what is true. And all of us want a life full of truth, don't we? Of course. Look at the next part. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. There's another aspect of the Spirit of God. He prepares you for the future by telling you what's to come. i got story after story after story I could tell of where it didn't make sense and the Holy Spirit of God told me something before it happened. I'll give you for instance because many of you knew me from years ago when I was, I grew up at Cottage Hill. I graduated college, was graduating, ready to head to seminary in the in, driving down Interstate 10, right there at the Pritchard exit, heading south, I sense the still small voice of God say to me, you're going to work at Cottage Hill Baptist Church before you go to seminary. And I'm like, I don't know anybody. That, I mean, I know Brother Fred a little bit. He doesn't really know me. These other people don't know me. I mean, I've grown up in the church. They don't have any openings. How's that going to happen? I mean, that's not going to happen. You're going to work at Cottage Hill before you leave. I'm like, I don't know how that's going to happen. I said, okay, Lord, you go work it out. Four days later, the student pastor who was new in town called me and said, hey, someone just gave me your name. I need a college minister to come and work with me. I'd like to sit down with you and ask you to come work with us. Huh. Yes, sir? I'll be there. I won't be going to seminary yet. I mean, I can give you a time after time after time after time, and you probably can give the same thing of where God showed you what was to come before you ever got there. To prepare you for whatever lies ahead. And that's the kind of life that God has for us. Then it says, But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. 14. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. You see, in other scriptures, we see that God, the, that Jesus, the Son, glorifies the Father. Then we see the Spirit of God glorify the Son of God. And so in simple terms, it's like this. Everything that we are in life and everything that we do in life should be a reflection and bring glory to, the, to, to Jesus Christ. For instance, remember, he's the one who sends the Spirit, and it's to your advantage to be your helper, to live out the Christian life. He does that, going back to that first scripture we looked at today, he does that in order to make you reflect his glory all the more. He knows apart from that Spirit, you cannot do that. So he not only guides you towards truth and brings conviction to get you there, but he also shows you where you're going as your guide. And lastly, it's all of that is for the glory of Jesus. For instance, conviction. Let's go back to that for a moment. Okay, you go, you, have, you sin, you do something you shouldn't do. The Spirit of God convicts you. Now you're at a quandary. You're at a place. The Spirit of God convicts me. What do I do with this conviction? Well, 
You can choose to say, deny it and say and pretend it didn't happen and walk away and live out life and you're going to have this continual conviction that comes. Or you can turn around and say, no, there's more to this. God's prompting me and that's an act of love for me and guidance in my life to bring me towards truth and to bring me towards that I can reflect Christ's glory. Thus, I can get on my knee or face and I can call out to Jesus and say, no, Jesus, Father, I know that was a sin and I ask your forgiveness, and you've convicted me, and I'm calling upon and asking for the blood of Jesus to wash my sin away. See how that works? Then the Spirit of God brought conviction and guidance to truth, convinced you of that truth, so that then and there you can repent and turn from that sin and be in the right place with Christ, a right place with God the Father, and holiness can prevail, and you can continue on to the glory of of Jesus the Son. But he also, in and through that, he glorifies the Son because it brings you back that apart from the blood of Jesus, you still have sin in your life. It's kind of like this. Bertha Smith used to say this. Later years ago, if you don't know who she was, a wonderful missionary from China. Miss Bertha used to say, your sin is on you until your sin, until you place your sin upon Christ. So when he convicts you, he's reminding you of all that Christ has said, of saying, you've got sin, now that's not right, it's not holy living, thus I'm moving on you, asking you to repent and calling to repent. Because if you repent, I forgive your sin, the scripture says, and put you back on the path you need to be. But your sin is on you until you put it on the cross. And that's what brings us to the place of singing about the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. See how he gets the glory? The Spirit does the work to the glory of the Son. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The glory of Jesus. You just remember the cross and what He did and the precious blood of Christ to wash you and make you clean and make you pure and make you wholesome and holy again. Praise God for His convicting Spirit. Praise God for bringing guidance and truth into our lives. Praise God for showing us where we're to go and what we're to do and where we're going in life. Praise God that we have one that's deep within us to help us bring glory to the Father, glory to the Son. And then 15, the end of that, all things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Another way of putting that is, the Spirit of God is going to take from what is of heaven and reveal it to you, declare it to you, bring it to you. So you can have what God, what God has at His disposal, bringing it into your life so that you can understand all the spiritual aspects of life. You see, this is why we're not to live like ordinary people. Because you don't have an ordinary life. When you receive Christ, God sent His Son to save you, and you receive that gift. Then he gives the gift of the Holy Spirit who indwells inside of you. It is God with us. It is not just God with us. Now it is God inside of us. But again, you got all the Spirit there is to get. The question is, does he have all of you? You see, you can't, if you're already full of something else, There's no room for him to overflow from your life. But here we are, and he makes these promises to to the disciples. And he says, okay, you've been with me for three years. I've taught you. You love me. You know the word of God. We've done miracles together. You know how to do ministry, but you're still going to need help. 
Guys, do you hear me? You're going to need a helper. Hey, guys, you remember? You're going to need a helper. And when, he, when the helper comes, he's going to convict you. He's going to guide you into truth. He's going to show you things to come. He's going to declare everything of heaven into you. He's going to help you remember what all I've said to you and taught you. And that's important when they didn't have writing instruments like we do today or computers. And he's going to glorify me in all that he does. You need him now. You need a helper. I'm telling you, I'm implying that you're not going to be able to live this life by yourself that I've called you to live. You're going to need a helper. The problem is, these guys had, had still, the Spirit of God was living outside of them, not within them. And all of that is true until we get to Acts chapter 1. So flip with me over to Acts chapter 1. Take off to the right in your Bible. You'll find that. It's next book over. Chapter 1, verse 4. Now I've got to fill some gaps in because we've got some time restraints. Here's how this comes down. Jesus comes, he lives on earth for three years. That's really the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then he dies on the cross, gets buried, and on that Sunday, right, that we celebrate as Easter, Resurrection Sunday, he comes back from the dead. The tomb is empty. Then he reveals himself to the disciples for 40 days. At the end of those 40 days, we pick up here in verse 4, Acts chapter 1. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had, asked, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at the same time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which, which the Father has put in his authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. These guys didn't even have a clue. They're still talking about Israel becoming a Jewish state again, not being under Roman law any longer. Their feudal minds could not grasp that Jesus was talking about something much different. A kingdom not on earth, a kingdom that's everywhere, a kingdom created by God and instituted by God. And he says, hey guys, I've been here for four, I've been showing up for 40 days now. Stay in Jerusalem until the Spirit of God comes on you, and when he does, you're going to have power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most ends. Now, John 20 or 21 teaches us that they were hoarded up together in a room for fear of the Jews. So you have Easter... Forty days, Jesus shows himself, and the last thing he says to them is, you're going to be my witnesses now, when the Spirit of God comes on you. And then we pick it up in verse 9. But when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them, and basically they said, well, why are you gazing up there? Go do what Christ said. In verse 12... They're in this room together. It says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem. It's about three quarters of a mile. And it's, the rest of that, for time's sake, talks about the disciples are there, some of the followers of Christ are there. They're in this room together. It's about 120 of them together in this room. And get this, they know the Old Testament. They pray together. They have unity together. Peter is kind of like their preacher. They have a business meeting in that they replace Judas with someone. They had to select who was going to replace Judas, so they have a business meeting. They love Jesus. They know the Word of God, being the Old Testament, but something's missing. They're hoarded up in a room doing nothing.
Now, to me, that is a picture of the 21st century church if I've ever seen it. We know the word. How many more Bible studies do we need? Oh, we love Jesus. We've seen him do ministry. We have a pastor. We have business meetings. We have unity. We're together. We know the Word of God, the Son of God. But where's the power? You see, we're talking about why is the church weak today and talking about universally across our country. Why is the church weak? The church is weak because we're not living the Spirit-filled life, the Spirit-anointed life. We're not living with help from the Helper. We're trying to do church in our own way while singing to Jesus, but doing it in our way, not with the Spirit's help. We're trying to have sin in our life even though the convictor keeps saying, no, 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 no. And we keep saying, religious right, freedom of speech, can do what we want, don't tell me what to do all this stuff, we keep saying, what? Live life like you want to live life and still love Jesus while the Spirit of God sit there saying, oh no, I love you. It is conviction. Don't go there. I'm trying to guide you to truth and you're headed towards a lie. You see, these people love Jesus but they didn't have any power in their life. They knew the Word of God, but they didn't have any power in their life. But then, Acts chapter 2 happens. Now, 40 days from Easter, Jesus goes up. Then, 10 more days go by and Jesus is silent. He's nowhere to be found. Then there's a Jewish holiday called Pentecost, Penta 50. It occurred 50 days after the Passover. And these people from all over the known world had come to Jerusalem and they were there for the celebration of Pentecost, this Jewish holiday. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, we see what happens. Check it out. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak one to, in, in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, for the time's sake, verse 5 and following, they go out, Peter and the disciples, these men and women walk out of that room. They had walked into that room without power. They walked out of this room now with great power. And these Jewish people and people from all over the Middle East are there. And they begin to speak in other tongues. And the people hear the, the tongues in their own language. So there's no question that what we see here is not speaking in tongues. Some of y'all might speak in tongues, but this is speaking in tongues of different languages. I've seen this happen on the mission field before. I was on a train one time, and it was intense, guys, with guns, and the train's moving, and my translator, who couldn't speak English, good translator, huh? He was an Olympic swimmer for Romania, was on the train with me, and had to get off the train because we're leaving Bucharest. And here's these guys with guns, and it was intense. And he says to me in perfect English, told me exactly what I needed to do, and he jumped off a moving train, and I knew what to do because the boy could speak English, and I'd been with him for ten days, and he had the only English word he knew was, hello, hello. God operates in the supernatural when we need him to operate in the supernatural. You see, if everything was a miracle, we wouldn't even know there were miracles existed, right? And so what happens is we have this manifestation of God come and show up with these people and they go out and they begin to, to teach and preach. And the rest of chapter 2 is these people are gathering. They're like, are these guys drunk? And somebody goes, they ain't drunk. It's 10 o'clock in the morning. He goes, well, these people don't talk like that. Well, how are you hearing it in your own language? I don't know. And the people began to get confused, some of them. And other people were like, tell me what's going on. And Peter stands up and he boldly proclaims and he says, 
This is who Jesus is, and you put him on the cross, and you, you can know him today, and he's calling you to come to know him today. And, and he said, and they said, what can we do to be saved? And he says, come to know Jesus, repent from your sins, and you'll receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And people repented from their sins. It's there in chapter 2. And it says that 3,000 people in an instant got saved. And then they began to gather. Listen, they didn't have technology. They didn't have a church budget. They didn't have a building. They didn't have anything. They didn't have money. They didn't have any of that. And they added 3,000 people to the church in a single day. No fifth, No facility. No budget. How did they do it? I don't know how they operated without a sound system and technology. Because they weren't dependent on sound systems and technologies and budgets and programming and buildings. They were dependent on one person. His name is Jesus Christ. And the one who they're dependent upon said, I'm going to go away. It's to your advantage. I'm going to send you a helper. And watch. You just stay and you pray. And then, boom! The Spirit of God comes and resides inside of them. And today is what we celebrate because it was 2,000 plus uh, 2,000 and whatever probably 32 years ago. No. I did my math backwards. Close to 2,000 years ago. And on that day, Luke 4.18 Fellowship was born. It's the first New Testament church. On that day, God chose to not just live around you, but to come and reside inside of you. On that day, Jesus said, Hey, now is the time that I'm putting a helper inside of you. Will you get his help? Will you receive his help? Will you reside upon, rely on his help? Ephesians 5.18 says, Paul's, Paul's teaching, he says, Hey, don't be drunk with wine, at least to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And the whole idea is, don't be like a person who's let alcohol slur their speech and the way they walk and they stumble around. Be like that, but be where your spirit feels, where the Spirit of God flows through you, how you talk, how you act, how you think, how you move. Makes you different. And the way that's written in the Greek is, is that God fills us. You can't fill yourself. The way that's written in the Greek is, is that it's a command. He wants every Christian to be filled in this place today. You say, well, I thought I got all the Spirit there was. You did, but you haven't given all of yourself to Him. That's what I'm talking about. Well, how do I do that? You empty yourself. It's called surrender. You pour yourself out. You pour your sin out. Listen, it's kind of like this. Are you going to live for Satan, for self, or for the Savior? you got a choice. I don't know how else to put it. You're going to live for Satan for self or for, for, for the Savior. And the Savior says, I want you to live for me. I want you to reflect me. I want you to have your glory, my glory flowing through you. So I'm going to fill you with your spirit. So Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit of God. Now here's what's interesting. A friend of mine, when I pastored years ago in North Carolina, a guy was in a horrific wreck, awful, awful wreck. And he got a settlement out of it, and they gave him, I don't know, millions of dollars because he would never walk the same again. So one day, he shows up after he got his money. He's an old country boy from North Carolina. Jonathan uh, 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 Shook was his last name. And he shows up into this little church in a Dodge Red Viper. Now, I'm not a car guy, but that was a cool car. He goes, come here, preacher. He goes, get in the car, I want you to drive. I said, No. Well, then get in the car and I want you to ride. And I said, yeah. And we got in that car that would go from zero to 60 in like no time flat. I mean, this is the, the doors open this way. I mean, that's a cool car. I had Hot Wheels when I was kids that did that. And get this. We had to go across the street to get gas. And it dawned on me that as we get gas in his Dodge Viper with that amazing engine, that right next to us was a 20-year-old clunker still getting gas. Both had to pull up to the pump in order to get where they're going in life. 
And God has now equipped you. If you were born again, you have Jesus in your life. You reside with Him. He's inside of you. Now the Spirit of God is inside of you. But the problem is this. You and I rely on our salvation to carry us through life when the Scripture says, no, 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 you've got to pull up to the pump called Jesus and open yourself up and let Him flow into you or you're going to be just like the 20-year-old clunker. I've given you everything there is to, that you need to live this life for me. And I'm going to give you the help to do it and the power to do it. It's up to you to do it. How? By saying, I can't. Lord, I can't live this life, but I want to live the life you've called me to do. So fill me with your spirit. And then conviction comes and you say, Lord, I pour that out at the cross. I pour this out at the cross. That was a bad attitude. Lord, that was wrong. Lord, I empty myself and ask you to fill me with your spirit. I want you to overflow in my life because you created me and you know how life is to be lived. I don't. And I need your help to live it. And your spirit is my helper. So fill me with your helper. And that takes you from a life of ordinary Christian living to a life of supernatural Christian living. A life of frustration to a life of abundancy. And today is why we celebrate Pentecost. Say, how? How do I do that? Luke 11, Jesus teaches us. Look at this. Jesus said, for everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be open. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? No, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The great Oswald Chambers, who wrote My Utmost for His Highest, one of the, maybe the greatest selling book of all mankind other than the Bible, was frustrated with his walk with Christ. Sure, the story was, he said, there's got to be more than this. I'm missing something. I, I don't understand it. And he read Luke 11, 10 through 13. And he said, now I understand. And he got before God and he began to regularly and consistently ask for the Spirit to fill his life to the glory of Jesus Christ. He, he worked for, I believe it was the Salvation Army and World War II was going on. And he was in Egypt ministering to a British soldiers. He was a Brit. And he died early, I believe he was 43 years old, unexpectedly. He was, he's buried today in the old Cairo, Egypt cemetery. If you go to his marker, it says Oswald Chambers has his birth year and his death date, and then it has Luke 11, 10 through 13 on his headstone. His wife is who ended up taking his sermons and teachings and put them together into a book called My Utmost for His Highest, and today people still read it. He never knew that even occurred. He was living out an ordinary life on super ordinary terms because he knew life was not to be lived in ordinary ways like most people live life. So today as we close, I simply say to you, Are you relying upon the helper's help? Or are you trying to live life on your own terms? I didn't ask you if you love Jesus. I didn't ask you if you knew scripture. I didn't ask you if you're a faithful church attender. I ask you if you're receiving help as Jesus sends help. Because I think if we're willing to acknowledge the truth, we all need help here today. And let's celebrate life, let's celebrate the church. And let's celebrate this, the Son of God who came that the Holy Spirit gives us and pours into us so that we can glorify Him. 
And so our invitation this morning is this. One, if you do not know Jesus Christ, you've never accepted him, you've never asked him to be your savior, as soon as we stand up to sing, I invite you to come down here and you ask Jesus Christ to be your savior and Lord. Or you could do it in your seat. You could do it at this altar. You don't have to have me to do it. But I'll be glad to pray with you if you'd like for me to. Number two, maybe you're away from God and you say, I need to come back to God. Find yourself at this altar and call out to him and get that right today. Three, you're a Christian. You love Jesus. You're not perfect. You know you're not. But you want to pour yourself out today and ask the Spirit of God to fill you just like Jesus taught us in Luke 11. Then you take time in your seat or this altar or wherever, and you simply pour yourself out and say, Jesus, I want you to fill me with your spirit. I pour out this, and ask the Spirit of God, Lord, is there anything that's convicting me? Is there anything I've done? And you pour that out and let the Spirit of God pour into you. And then you begin to daily ask the Spirit of God to pour into you as your helper. And watch how life changes from ordinary living to superordinary living. That's what God's designed for your life.